And welcome back to Hey Eintracht Frankfurt, the Bundesliga podcast covering everything there is to know in the English language about Eintracht Frankfurt, the best club in the Bundesliga, the best club in Germany, the best club in Europe, the best club in the world for that matter. But we are a bit biased. I am your host, Brian and Casey, hosting an extra special uh, interview edition of this podcast. I love putting these guys out there every now and then. And when you have a special guest like we do have today, uh, there's nothing better than uh, adding this to uh, our lovely listeners. So uh, without further ado, I'll get right to it. And the gentleman who is joining us today is a Bundesliga commentator for the world feed. He has uh, commentated on Major League Soccer, the UEFA Champions League, the Scottish Premier League. He's commentated on World Cups, uh, too many uh, to list off. Uh, And he also happens to uh, provide the English language voice for your favorite uh, soccer video game, FIFA. It's none other than Derek Ray who joins us. Derek, thank you for joining uh, the podcast. Thank you for the invitation, Brian. Good to be with you. It's good having you back on again. It's been too long, but uh, a different Eintracht definitely than uh, the team that was uh, just starting out in Europe when last we spoke. Um, you had the comment. You had the luck of commentating on Eintracht versus Stuttgart at the weekend, and uh, one that really put Eintracht fans through the loop. And let's be honest, the Stuttgart fans as much through the loop. What mm. what were your real takeaways from this match? It was a bit of a wild ride, this game in Stuttgart on Saturday. And I do think over the piece, Eintracht Frankfurt probably just deserved the win and no more. I think it was a mistake-ridden game from both sets of players. I think if we're being honest, we would say that. Particularly from Stuttgart, who looked very nervous, I thought, in those first few minutes. I can't remember a game in the first few minutes of recent times that featured so many corners by the visiting team. It was one corner after another. I said it in commentary to my partner, Sean Dundee, and lo and behold, that first goal comes from a corner, that little flick by Evan Ndika. Uh, the, the corner had been taken, of course, by Jesper Lindström. Christopher Lentz had been taking some of the corners with Philip Kostic out. And that was to become a running theme throughout the game, this corner kicks factor. And, you know, that became even more the case when we went into the second half. And, of course, the second goal comes from a corner, and it's Aydin Hrustic, who had just come on as a substitute. It was a bit of a masterstroke, you might say, by Oliver Glasner, although an enforced switch with Sebastian Rode having to go off because of the knee injury. But what a goal that was by Hrustic. It just about took my breath away to see that. And what I didn't know at the time was, and I tweeted about this after the game, I was listening to the press conference, and Oliver Glasner immediately credited Michael Angerschmidt from his staff as being the man who works on the corners and who had actually worked at halftime on this idea of what to do from a corner. So he'd been watching the corner kicks, he'd been watching how Stuttgart were reacting and they came up with this plan, Rustic was to come on, you know, let's try this. Not something you see in in an average game. And as I said, a a fantastic goal. So the corner kicks a huge part of this narrative. And that's not always the case. It can be, but for two important goals. Uh, And I I thought, as I said, that Frankfurt were probably good value for it. Stuttgart had their moments in the game, but they have problems that Eintracht currently don't have. 
Indeed, uh, Eintracht has uh, left its uh, relegation woes of uh, a decade and a bit time behind them, hopefully uh, never to resurface ever again. Um, looking at the way that Eintracht was able to score uh, all of its goals really off of uh, an Australian who just was on his game and set pieces, which uh, when you consider the fact that Martin Hinteregger was off the bench and didn't uh, come on uh, until really deep into uh, the second half. Um, were you surprised that Eintracht was able to trouble Stuttgart uh, from set pieces uh, so well, considering one of the better uh, he- headers of the ball was actually on the bench? I wasn't completely surprised because Stuttgart do have a bit of an Achilles heel when it comes to defending corner kick situations, and we saw that very much in evidence. Yeah, I take the point about Hinter Egger, who obviously has been going through a bit of a form crisis and injury problems as well, but mostly the form, I think, is what everybody's talking about, and he's been very candid about it, and that's to his great credit. But, um, yeah, I mean... Corner kicks, of course, can come from height, as a result of height. But Oliver Glasner made the point in his post-match comments that if you look at the squad, and I wasn't all that aware of it until researching before the game, if you look at the squad, it's not the tallest team in the Bundesliga. So height can mean a lot for corners, or it can mean very little if you have somebody like Michael Angerschmidt, who is at the controls and coming up with these ideas for corners. So, yeah, innovation there, because they were good corners. And um, as I say, when I think back to the opening few minutes of the game, that's what it was all about. It was corner kick, corner kick, corner kick. And that's where the threats were coming from. But when you play a team like Stuttgart, who are under pressure and are feeling the pressure and the tension is palpable and you sense that in the stadium as well, that the 10,000 who were there, they were a bit nervy. And credit to Eintracht for being able to take advantage of that situation. Eintracht uh, really needing a win after quite a few matches uh, since the Winter Pass has exited. Three matches, one point. For you, um, with the with the way that the Eintracht was able to get the result, considering uh, quite different uh, formation uh, thrown out there, uh, as everyone will know that Kostic was not a part of the match, were you surprised at the, how uh, well the Eintracht reacted without one of its probably, if not biggest, stars uh, on the pitch? I wasn't, again, shocked by that, but I was certainly taken. I, I thought that Christopher Lentz was excellent, probably the best player on the pitch for Eintracht. And, of course, you know, when I was doing my homework before the game, I was thinking, all right, without Kostic and also without Kamada, without Daichi Kamada, how are Frankfurt going to be creative? Because Christopher Lentz is not a like-for-like replacement for Philip Kostic. You know, Glasner had said, yeah, you know, Kostic, we see him as a left wing back, but of course he's not really a defensive left wing back. He can defend, but he's on the side to provide all those crosses, 122 of them in the Bundesliga this season, which is number one. There's no player with more crosses supplied from open play in the Bundesliga this term than Philip Kostic. So you don't have that threat. What are you going to do? Well, you know, the interesting thing was Lentz knew that his job was primarily a defensive one to nullify Silas. And I thought he did that really well. Silas in his first start of the season for Stuttgart. And, you know, Lentz, I think, made a big statement because he hasn't played much in this campaign at all. And 
for me, as I said, he was probably the, the standout figure. So you've got that for starters. And then you're sort of thinking to yourself, how are they going to make it work in terms of the attack without Kamada, without Kostic? You've got Boré, you've got Lindström. You know, there can be some flexibility there in terms of where Lindström lines up. But it was mostly Jakic in the deepest position of all in midfield with Gibril So and Sebastian Rode a little bit ahead. And of course, as I said, Rode had to go off. Um, Timothy Chandler doing what Timothy Chandler tends to do, which is get through a lot of honest work on the right-hand side. He'll probably say he had a role to play in that first goal just by attempting to flick the ball on. And maybe that was a factor, I'm not sure. And then you had your back three with um, Tuta uh, Hasebe and Ndika, who scored that first goal. So I, I thought it was pretty well organised for the most part. There were some anxious moments. There were, you know, a lot of times when I thought to myself, they're giving the ball away a bit too cheaply. But the thing is, Stuttgart were doing that much more. So all in all, it was a competent performance. Uh, Hrustic, obviously, the, the match winner, the man of the match, the player who, you know, caught everyone's imagination with what he did and a performance that he won't soon forget. But um, in terms of the players who started, I've got to give it to, to Lentz. But of course, Hrustic is, is going to claim it when you score two goals as he did having come on as a substitute. Yeah, uh, you mentioned uh, one of the players in the back three. Uh, looks like uh, Hasebe, there's a chance that he could be out for a little bit of time. Now, he is a, a very long-time Bundesliga player in himself. We keep on calling him timeless here because uh, his footballing brain uh, just cannot be beat when it comes to just what he's able to do in terms of helping organizing uh, the defense. You know, he's taking his coaching badges, so you know that he's a brain that is going to be sticking in uh, – sticking around uh, the game for quite a long time to come. With his exit, do you think that the Eintracht will stick with their back three, uh, just putting in Hintreger in the center? Or do you think that uh, with Linz and hopefully uh, Kostic back in playing, do you think that the Eintracht will go more to a, a back four that the, that the Eagles showed earlier in the season when Linz was uh, fully healthy? Yeah, it's definitely decision time. I think they have to look at all options. Oliver Glasner, I think, in his heart, prefers a back three. And, of course, you have Hinteregger who can come in. But Lentz has certainly given Oliver Glasner something to think about. And Lentz is comfortable playing as a pure left back in a four. Um, so I, I think that's a decision that he's going to have to think very carefully about in terms of what he wants to do next. Uh, but I did like the composition of this team. They're going to miss Hasebe, no doubt about that. He spent the day at the Uni Clinic in Frankfurt, a, a chest injury. They haven't quite specified at last check exactly how serious it might be or what, in fact, the exact injury is. But if you're looking at being without Hasebe, and Glasner said immediately after the game, yeah, he's going to miss a, a game or two. It now seems as though it might be more than a game or two then, you know, that's somebody who's going to be difficult to replace. At the age of 38, he's still going strong. And, you know, heavens knows, he's the sort of player who wants to take part in every single game. Um, there have only been 18 players older than Hasebe in the history of the Bundesliga. And you get the feeling that he would love to follow in the footsteps of the great Kazu Miura, his fellow countryman, and play on into his 50s. And um, 
yeah, might not put it past him at some level to still be playing going into his 50s. He's absolutely the iron man for Eintracht Frankfurt. One of the players that I was kind of worried about from uh, was his actual countryman uh, from Stuttgart. And uh, Indo uh, really was a key player in uh, uh, Stuttgart getting the 1-1 draw uh, earlier in the season. But uh, Klaasdic also being a key contributor. What did you see from Stuttgart? Because that's a uh, side that until they played the Eintracht uh, had been fine matches without even a goal. Uh, to their tally and a team really down in the dumps. Uh, if I can switch things over to Stuttgart, yeah. what did you see from them that might lend, because uh, we have a couple listeners who are uh, part Eintracht, part Stuttgart fans on yeah. here, what do you foresee from Stuttgart? Is there the spark to uh, keep this club uh, afloat in the Bundesliga or is Maragrena Pazzarazzo's uh, time with uh, the Swabians uh, coming to an end? Well, I want to say, first of all, Brian, that I'm a neutral commentator, but I have a place and there's a place in my heart for VfB Stuttgart. And it goes back to my days in the 70s and the 80s, first discovering German football. Stuttgart were very much one of the main forces at that time. And I really prefer to see them in the Bundesliga. I'll be honest about that. But of course, I call it as I see it during a game and during the course of a season, and they are low on confidence. And we saw that during this game. You mentioned five matches without a win, five without a goal. They finally ended their dry spell after 518 minutes. Negative club record. 518 minutes without a Bundesliga goal. So they scored once, they scored again. Valdemar Anton with the first goal. And then, of course, they came up with the equaliser through Zasha Kalajic, that fine cross by Borna Sosa to set it up for him. But the problems were just in terms of, I think, attitude, body language. Um, Peregrino Matarazzo, who I have great respect for, tried something different playing Valdemar Anton at right back. So going to a back four, you're asking the question about Frankfurt potentially using a four. Stuttgart, who'd been a back three team, did go to four in this game. But I thought from the word go, they were ill at ease with it. And they didn't quite seem to have the dynamism that they felt they would have after a very good week of training, by all accounts, in Marbella. They went off to Marbella for five days. They played in a test match there as well against Rostov of Russia, came back home to Stuttgart and got stuck in again. And everybody seemed to be saying the right things. They thought, OK, we're ready now to show our true face. But they couldn't really show it. And and honestly, I, I don't think there were any success stories in this game from a Stuttgart angle at the weekend. I don't think there's anybody you would even really give pass marks to based on the overall performance. Um, I do think that the squad should be better than that. I don't think they're uh, a 17th placed squad. And you asked about Pellegrino Matarazzo, who of course is a really interesting guy, an Italian-American who made his own way in Germany with no contacts whatsoever, went over to play for Bad Kreuznach and... Of course, a very bright fellow, um, a, a graduate in applied mathematics from Columbia University, but you know, not somebody who's come from wealth, somebody who's you know come from a very ordinary background in New Jersey, and he's somebody who I, you know, genuinely wish the best for. Um, I think Stuttgart feel the same way, and it was interesting to me. Sven Mislintat at the start of the campaign, was talking about Matarazzo and, and his importance in terms of the overall project because they are a club that prides itself on polishing young 
players, making them better, and then selling them on, hopefully for big money, and then repeating that process. And Mislin Tat kept saying at the start of the season, you know, if we were to somehow go down, and at that stage nobody was really thinking Stuttgart would go down, but if we were to somehow get relegated, then we would stay loyal to Pellegrino Matarazzo because we believe in him. He's somebody who fits our club. Now, it was interesting, Mislin Tat on the back of this game said pretty much the same thing. Pretty much exactly the same thing, that we need to be a club that develops and we need somebody who matches that ethos. And he said, I think, a very interesting thing. He said, you know, why would I call into question a coach who has been able to take players like Borna Sosa, like Nico Gonzalez, no longer with the club, whose market value was very low, um, but whose market value skyrocketed on the back of working with Pellegrino Matarazzo. So that tells you everything about how they are thinking. And, of course, the great role models for thinking this way would be Freiburg, you know, who, th- through thick and thin, stay with Christian Streich, even when they got relegated. Streich is the guy they believe in, and, of course, they come back up with Streich. So I can see that... Even though there is certainly a degree of alarm in Stuttgart at the moment, and the Stuttgart fans who listen to your podcast, I'm sure, are quite alarmed. Um, I think they are trying to, um, as we say in my part of the world, keep the head, keep calm, and uh, realise that they do have the ability to get out of this. It's not going to be easy straight away because they've got Leverkusen away from home, and that's brutal given you know what's happened in the last few weeks with Leverkusen and what's happened in the last few weeks with Stuttgart. But um, I still think there's a way for them to stay in the Bundesliga. It's looking more difficult this weekend given what's happened with the other results, with Augsburg, with Wolfsburg, with Bielefeld and Gladbach picking up a point each in their 1-1 draw. So, yeah, I mean, I understand if you're a Stuttgart fan at the moment, it seems a bit desperate, but there still is time. Yeah, I was about to say, um, this this weekend's match, Leverkusen versus Borussia Dortmund, which, in my opinion, has really sealed the Bundesliga title, let's yeah. be frank. Uh, that was the kind of hurt that Stuttgart's got to be looking at and saying, oh boy, uh, big one, uh, a kind. I do, and I, I'm in the same camp as you. I do believe that uh, Stuttgart will pull out of it because they're a club that's got a lot more tools uh, to work with than a Bielefeld, an Augsburg. Uh, to be honest, uh, even a, a host of Berlin. I think that mm. Stuttgart's really got quite a few uh, things available to them. It's just with so many things from injuries to COVID that's happened over. Over the season, it's it's been a rough, it's been a rough one for the Swabians, uh, to say the least. Um, switching to back to the Eintracht, we had the debut of uh, Eintracht, one of Eintracht's newest signings in Knauf, uh, who came on in the in the second half. And what did you? I mean, only a couple of moments. Did you discern anything from the player in his brief appearance or are you definitely thinking that this is uh, one more for down the road? Cause I remember him with Borussia Dortmund last season and there was, he was, he was young, but uh, he would uh, create a spark from here and there. Yeah. He has that about him. He's that kind of player, good impact player off the bench, I would say. And somebody who does need a bit of game time because he wasn't, going to get much game time. Different situation last season. 
because of the personnel situation in Dortmund, he was getting more opportunities and actually scored in Stuttgart for them. So I, I think that this is a good move for him if he does get game time. Now, of course, there's competition there as well. You know, you sort of ask yourself, where is he exactly going to fit in on a regular basis? Who's going to step out? Do you have to tweak things a little bit? I, I see him more as somebody, especially with five substitutes, who is the perfect player to be coming on for 15, 20 minutes at a time at the end of games. That sort of impact player. He's young. He's got time on his side. He's had a very good grounding uh, at the Brackel training ground in Dortmund. And I think it'll help him to be at a club like Eintracht, who are, you know, certainly a club that should be thinking of European football. I, I believe they have that within their capabilities. And yeah, good luck to Ansgar Knauf. I'm really looking forward to seeing more of him uh, with the fact that the Eintracht doesn't have to resume European uh, trials until March. I think that's this is a good time for him to kind of get to know his fellow teammates before he then gets uh, as he can be gradually integrated into the the match day squad before you start to have you know two matches per week, yeah. uh, which the activity will uh, definitely test everything that Eintracht has. Uh, before we switch, I had a couple of questions from uh, some panelists on our mm. podcast, but I wanted to get your opinion of Eintracht for uh, the season itself. Ninth place, thirty one points uh, out of the Pokal, but uh, currently waiting for the play in. Uh, round uh, winners from the Europa League. What do you think is going to be uh, the end of season results? Where is Eintracht going to fall? And uh, how f- can we get far in Europe? Well, I'll deal with the European question first of all. Yeah, I think they can. I think it's open, that tournament. Now, it gets ever more difficult because I think the Europa League has increased in stature in recent years and Eintracht Frankfurt, that memorable season when they made it all the way to the semi-final. A big part of that, big part of enhancing that stature, I think. Um, I, I, I believe that if the, the draw is right as they go forward, then, you know, they can go far. To win it, it's difficult. You know, that, I think, is very difficult when you consider what the level of the opposition might be at the end. But hopefully the club can enjoy a good run in the Europa League. Um, as far as the Bundesliga is concerned, I think if I'm being honest, Eintracht Frankfurt could land anywhere from, let's say, fourth to about tenth. You know, I, I, I think it's just so unpredictable from week to week between the teams and that sector of the table. I'm more inclined to think that this is a squad that should be closer to fourth than tenth. I mean, that's what I'm, I'm thinking now. Funnily enough, at the start of the campaign, I always do my predictions in terms of the the placings. And I think I had Frankfurt ninth. I think, uh, and that actually took some people by surprise. And a couple of Frankfurt fans on Twitter took issue with that, saying, oh no, you know, you see what happened last season. Why do you think they're going to be much worse? I just felt this was a season of change, as I'm sure people, you know, on your podcast um, will, will understand, you know, where I was coming from on that, because it was a season of change. You know, when you lose um, not just key players, but you lose a coach and you lose the key decision makers off the pitch and you've got to retool with a new head of sport with new people under him. Um, okay, you still have Ben Manga, who's sort of been the, the, the man for continuity on the squad building front. But yeah, you know, a, a summer of change. And it maybe wasn't a huge surprise that there were ups and downs in that uh, first half of the season before the big up towards the 
end of the Hinrunde. And then, of course, a couple of downs at the start of the Rückrunde. But, you know, the likelihood is more ups, I would say. Um, so, yeah, when I look at the squad, when I look at how they've rebuilt it, I, I quite like Boré from what I've seen of him. Um, I think he's a good all-around striker. He's not... Andre Silva, he's not going to be. Nobody has been Andre Silva for Frankfurt until Andre Silva came along. You know, that record speaks for itself. So I think it's always difficult to fill the boots of somebody like that. But the other additions, again, Lindstrom, um, hot and cold, but when he's hot, he's really good. You know, he's somebody who, who I think excels. And of course, you have Philip Kostic, who, you know, is one of the most formidable players in the Bundesliga when he's on his game. And uh, Sebastian Rode, another one who I think since coming back from the injury, and it's a shame he picked up the injury again at the weekend, but we'll hope that that's not a serious one. But Rode, somebody who has contributed mightily um, since coming back from his injury. Uh, so up and down the team, I think the hope is there that Frankfurt can push for, as I said, European football as a minimum, maybe the Champions League. That will be difficult because I think Leipzig are now sort of rounding into better form. And, you know, my prediction would be if you're looking at the top four, it would be Bayern, probably Dortmund second, Leverkusen third and Leipzig in fourth. But there are other potential permutations. And at a minimum, I think Frankfurt will feel they should be in the Europa League again. Definitely like how that sounds, uh, participating in Europe, continued participation in Europe to grow the club. But uh, yeah, if we can only do what, you know, pull off uh, another run all the way to the cup final. I'm not saying like a kind of run like uh, a fellow Scottish side did uh, in defeating Real Madrid in the 80s in Aberdeen, making it all the way to the final, beating Bayern Munich in the way there. But I'd like to hope that there's still some uh, ma- some knockout round magic uh, that is still left in this Eintracht squad, uh, yep. uh, still left to play out. Uh, oh, fingers crossed at least. Um, you yep. mentioned a rundown of the Bundesliga uh, expectants uh, to kind of finish where they are. Uh, Bayern, Dortmund, uh, Leverkusen, Leipzig rounding out the top four. Um it is kind of a bummer that uh, Leverkusen did crush Dortmund the way that they did at the weekend. Um, but hey, when you have different ways of squad planning, things kind of go as they go. I want to turn to the Depe Pokal. How magical is it that we have basically a uh, competition that we can still look at and say, we there's there's hope for football yet in Germany? Well, I think that the DFB Pokal always gives us hope. I'm a great believer that it's the premier domestic cup competition in the world. And of course, FA Cup devotees always sort of laugh when I say that. And I usually ask, have you ever watched the DFB Pokal? And and most of the time they say no, but how could it be better than the FA Cup? And I'll say, just give it a chance. And, you know, I am somebody who you certainly don't have to um, persuade me about how magical <laughs> the day of Bepokal is. And, you know, Frankfurt fans, uh, even newer Frankfurt fans, know how magical it is just based on what happened quite recently in Berlin. Um, so I, I, I do think that this season is not a season for the Glory Hunters. It's... Um, wide open, as you've said. And right now, I, I just couldn't pick a winner. I probably would say, <laughs> if, the, if there is to be a favourite, it probably is Leipzig. 
you know, and they want to win a trophy and they'll probably expect that they can beat Hannover and all of a sudden if they do that, they're in the semi-finals and you don't have Bayern and you don't have Dortmund and you don't have Leverkusen and yeah, you know, it, it's there for a team like Leipzig. But wouldn't it be wonderful if you had a real surprise you know if you had Zank Pauli if you had Karlsruhe in the final you know imagine if you had Zank Pauli in Hamburg in the final <laughs> you know I mean imagine <laughs> that um It'd be I, the I'm second to... second city derby in uh David Pokal final history uh after Fortuna Kuhn uh FC Kuhn yeah, well that's the, the one yeah I was gonna say that's the one that um resonates with me and that's the one I can uh, remember fondly to this day, Köln against Fortuna Köln. So uh, so why not St. Pauli against Hamburger Sportverein in the final? Bochum, of course, still very much alive. And, you know, they're going to have a fighting chance at home against Freiburg. So, yeah, the DFB Pokal, um, it certainly is the competition to watch when it picks up again in early March. Indeed. Um, one thing that uh, does make me kind of then recircle to Leipzig, actually. If you are uh, uh, Tedesco, uh, the manager of Leipzig, you're in the knockout phase of the Europa League. You also are in the quarterfinals and are looking at the field and thinking, this is way easier than uh, when we made it to the final and uh, lost to Bayern. If they had to pick one or the other, I mean, uh, obviously finishing top four is absolutely crucial. And I still think that they looked really good at the weekend and their 3-2 loss uh, to Bayern. But to them, what is more important? The DFA Pokal, uh, getting that first uh, top trophy, or a decent run in the knockout phase where currently they face off against the Real Sociedad? Well, I think the good news for Leipzig is that they have a big, deep squad. So they're able to handle the demands, and there will be demands, because, as I mentioned, getting into the Champions League is no surefire thing. And they have come to expect Champions League football. I mean, that really is why they had to make the coaching change, um, saying goodbye to Jesse Marsh and bringing in, uh, eventually, Domenico Tedesco. I would say that what's really important to the decision makers at Leipzig, in addition to the Champions League, and I, I do think that is the most important thing for them, because, um, yeah, you want to win a trophy, but you, you do want to be in the Champions League next season. So, uh, in a sense, they don't really have the luxury of being able to say, OK, we'll treat this tournament as being more important than this other tournament. Um, but that is the one thing that is missing is silverware, that they don't have any silverware in the cabinet. Beaten finalists in the Pokal last season, losing heavily to Borussia Dortmund. And as we mentioned, you know, with Eintracht Frankfurt, the Europa League is a slog. You know, you've got to be pretty good now to win the Europa League. Frankfurt have the advantage of being already in the March phase of the Europa League. Leipzig have got to overcome Real Sociedad over two legs. And I watch Sociedad quite a bit. And um, I don't think they're as good as Leipzig, but they're technical in certain positions and they've got decent pace and attack. And, you know, that could be problematic over two legs when they do have to think as well about the Bundesliga finishing in the top four, as we've said, no cast iron certainty. And now the day of Bepokal, and they are favourites. If there's such a thing as favourites in this particular draw, they are the people, they are the, the favourites of the... Um, of the uh, the bookmakers, so 
yeah, I, I think it's um, it's going to be a really interesting second half of the season for RB Leipzig. And I do agree with you when you said that the knockout round, like there's, it, that I, I'd like to think that the new setup uh, could provide even more fireworks than we already have. We, you've got uh, Leipzig Sociedad, which we just mentioned. You have Barcelona, Napoli. Most people would think that's a Champions League uh, yeah. tilt rather than a Europa League tilt. And uh, Borussia Dortmund now find themselves in the Europa League, faced off against uh, sc- this very big Scottish side in Glasgow Rangers. So, ah, golly, I'm really w- looking forward to how what teams get to filter down to the Eintracht so that they can then uh, kind of get right back to European action because it's a it's a really exciting I think change to the format which I think will everyone is going to be able to enjoy. Uh, I mentioned um, er- earlier that we did have a couple of questions from our panelists and one uh, Nathan, our uh, producer had a question for you about 50 plus one with the current uh, standing of 50 plus one consideration, considering recent opinions and rulings via law, will we see uh 50 50- plus one be able to withstand uh, like any changes going forward or will changes that are being requested by some of the bigger teams that are out there. Will, will we, will we see 50 plus one go away or will we see that as no, this is what it makes the Bundesliga and the, you know, as vital league and on downwards. That's what makes our clubs, you know, the community aspect of the clubs. What do you think uh, is the likelihood going forward? We keep hearing noises about some of the bigger clubs wanting to soften 50 plus one. And, you know, that may happen. That that may be something that becomes a feature of the discussions over the next few years. But Donata Hopfen, who's the new CEO of the DFL, she gave a long interview just the other day to uh, Biltam Zontag. And in that interview, she said, no, 50 plus one is part of what makes the Bundesliga, what makes German football culture special. So I I don't think that there'll be a significant erosion of this. I, I think it's too important for fans. I think we are seeing certain clubs trying to be creative in terms of their structures. You know, you can look at Augsburg, for example. They have a slightly different structure. It is technically within the auspices of 50 plus one. But somebody could look at it from the outside and go, well, you're being a little bit crafty here in terms of, um, you know, Klaus Hofmann, how he set things up. And he's got an American investor as part of it who actually invests in the company that Hofmann himself has set up. And, and that does happen at various different clubs. You have an outsourcing, if you like, of the first team or the professional department. And um, yeah, so, I mean, every club does it differently. But I think... You know, most people realize that what we love about the Bundesliga is this relationship between fans and clubs. The fact that the fans really are the clubs. And, you know, people in England will say that, people in other countries will say that, but it doesn't have the same meaning because it's just a different structure. And I know many people in England who yearn for the day when their club could be run in the manner of, say, Eintracht Frankfurt or Erste FC Köln, some of these great traditional clubs in Germany. So it, it's something that will continue to be debated. 
There's the argument that it holds back clubs in terms of trying to make nimble decisions. Um, you could point to clubs like Leverkusen, Wolfsburg, Hoffenheim, that, you know, for different reasons, for in some cases historical reasons, don't have the same structures, you know, technically within 50 plus one. But, um, but again, there are differences. Obviously, Leverkusen originally set up as a, a factory works club, if you like, for the, the Bayer company's workers. Wolfsburg, their relationship with Volkswagen. I mean, Wolfsburg wasn't even really a settlement until Volkswagen came along and they needed a, a place to house workers at the, the new factory. So, um, yeah, you know, I, broadly speaking, uh, I think that we're not going to see radical changes to 50 plus one. At least that's my hope. My hope as well. I do. Uh, it kind of links well with the second and uh, uh, last uh, question from my panel. Uh, Chris uh, in Detroit and asked with the and you mentioned this about Stuttgart uh, with Sven Mislintat wanting to be a club that you know develops you know players and coaches and then the you know they sell them on for a profit. Is the Eintracht's current model of buying cheap and then sell for profit? Uh, is that the right structure that will allow the Eintracht to eventually break through to the platform that a Leverkusen Dortmund have found themselves performing at in such that perhaps that big salad bowl, the Meisterschale, might be able to uh, be lifted again in Frankfurt for the first time in the modern Bundesliga era? Yeah, well, 1959, the, the last time before the, the Bundesliga began in the early 1960s. Um, I think it's difficult. I think it's really, really difficult to try to unseat Bayern. Uh, all you can really do is come up with a model that works for you. And this is the model that most Bundesliga clubs go for. And it's one of assessing young talent, bringing the right fit in terms of young talent through, giving that young talent a chance and knowing that the day will come in the not too distant future when you have to sell on that young talent, maybe not so young anymore, and rinse and repeat and do it again. And the one thing about Frankfurt is I, I do think that they have a very good head of sports in Markus Kruscher, who's seen a lot in a short space of time. You know, I can remember when he worked with the Holger Schmidt in Leverkusen, did a fabulous job at Paderborn, uh, got promotion, if you like, to Leipzig, but in the end, you know, there were some issues there. And, you know, he's landed in Frankfurt, and I think in a good place for him. And I think it's beneficial for Frankfurt as well, you know. So I, I think all in all, it, it's, it's the model that makes most sense. And now, are there going to be guarantees that because of that model, you finish in the top four? No, because... You know, you mentioned Leverkusen. They're doing it, and, and they do have a financial advantage. I think there's no getting away from that. You know, they do have a, a financial advantage, much of which comes down to that historical factor that I spoke about earlier. And Leipzig are going to have a financial advantage. You know, there's, there's no escaping that. So, you know, when you think about it, Bayern, Dortmund, Leverkusen, Leipzig, no particular order. And then you look at all these other teams who are trying to sort of get in on that party, you know, and you're seeing Union make massive strides in a short space of time. A team like Hoffenheim going through a bad run at the moment, but could easily come out the other side and 
put a good string of results together and be back in contention. Um, you know, you, you go down that list and, you know, Gladbach struggling at the moment, but they've had a model that's been really sustainable um, put together by uh, Max Eber, you know, sadly no longer at the club. Um, so, yeah, I mean, up and down the league we go. But, you know, Eintracht Frankfurt mean an awful lot to a heck of a lot of people, you know, that they stand for tradition and they're trying to do it the right way. And, you know, I think that there are a lot of good signs at the moment. Well, uh, that, those positive vibes, how could someone not uh, feel like that the Eintracht is on the up and up? Derek, it's been wonderful having you back on the podcast. Hopefully we'll be able to have you back on again in the future. And where, what, uh, what kind of projects or what kind of a, a work are you doing currently that you would like to have a, this opportunity to promote? Well, people may know I work pretty much every week on the Bundesliga World Feed. Also for ESPN, we do our own individual productions of games. And I work on La Liga for ESPN too. So I'm sort of bouncing between the two leagues. And in addition to that, on a week-to-week basis, I write a column for ESPN on the Bundesliga, which some people might know about. You mentioned my video game work for FIFA. That's a real labor of love. And yeah, on we go. It's never dull. And I think people who know me will will know that the Bundesliga is my great passion. And um, it's just a privilege to be able to um, provide part of the soundtrack to viewers around the world on a week-to-week basis. So, yeah, thanks for having me on, Brian. It was a great experience as always. Our pleasure, Derek. Our pleasure. Frankfurt fans, uh, even newer Frankfurt fans, know how magical it is just based on what happened quite recently in Berlin. You certainly don't have to persuade me about how magical the day of Bepokar is. Hey,